because it probably won't be the preaching, okay? But at least you got something in the first 30 minutes of the service. It's just a blessing to be here today, isn't it? Just good to be in God's house. What a privilege it is to be able to continue to gather together in spite of all that's going on. And if it's not a privilege to you, okay, I didn't say it had to be a privilege for you to hear me preach. It's a privilege just to be in God's house, okay? And if it's not a privilege to you to be here, just ask the almost 70-something households that are tuning in this morning on our live stream broadcast. I'll guarantee there's a lot of people who would love to trade places with you this morning to be able to be together in God's house. We can't be right now, so let's pray for them. It's been an eventful week uh, as we continue to ride out an ever-evolving situation with the circumstances that surround us. And uh, I want to say thank you as the pastor for bearing with us as we continue to try to navigate this. It's something we take very seriously, and we're just trying to seek what God wants done. I'll promise you, I have, listen, I have no ego on this. I have no opinion on this. I just want to do what God wants, and uh, that's what we're asking him to do is give us wisdom in that. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I choose to live my faith and not fear. Understand that. I choose to live by faith and not fear, but I still buckle my seatbelt. All right? The prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. You know, the odds that you'll get in, a, in an accident on the way home, God forbid, are very slim, but we still buckle our seatbelt, don't we? doesn't mean you don't have faith when you buckle your seatbelt. It just means you're trying to be prudent of the potential that's out there. And now, look, I don't honestly think, uh, and I'm not terribly worried, to be honest with you, this virus is going to move through our church uh, and wipe out our entire congregation. I'm, I'm honestly not concerned about that. This is the Lord's church. Safety is ultimately of the Lord, and he's going to look after us. It's the disruption that we're trying to limit. When we have to cancel a service or go live stream, we're trying to limit the amount of disruption. If we can take a pause every once in a while, uh, while we're having a spike, it'll preserve the opportunity to gather regularly, more frequently, if we can uh, limit those disruptions, okay? So do be in prayer for us as we make these decisions. We were talking this morning about Sunday school. If it's not this upcoming Sunday, it looks like if things continue as is, we'll be back the week after that. But one or the other, if the Lord will allow us, pray for our church, not only our physical health, pray for our spiritual health, okay? Uh, the devil is indeed a coward. He's going to jump on our people while they're away and pray for them that God would strengthen them and keep a hedge about them. I do ask you to remember my sister this morning. She's at the hospital. Uh, if you know, she has a very compromised immune system, and she is positive now and is suffering with a lot, a lot of these conditions. So pray for her this morning, uh, if you would. Uh, I believe this morning in Nehemiah chapter number two, uh, the message the Lord has given us is going to help us. Matter of fact, I know it's going to help us if we We'll let it help us, okay? Uh, let's set aside the cares of the world right now, all the tension that's out there and the confusion that's out there, uh, and let's just see what God has for us in the message today. He knows what we need. Aren't you glad? He knows what we need. He's going to give us what we need if we'll just open up our heart to receive it. And I really do believe that a lot of the things the Lord's given us in preparation, if he leads us to preach it today, will help us in the current situation uh, that we're in. Nehemiah chapter number 2. And I want you to look down, and uh, let's pick up in verse number 11. Just remain seated, if you don't mind. Nehemiah chapter number 2, verse number 11, the Bible says, speaking about Nehemiah's journey to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls, so I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. After he arrived and saw all of the destruction, he rested up from his journey about three days. And then after that, he decides to go take a survey trip of just how bad things are there in the city. Verse 12 Key verse this morning, and I arose in the night, and I, some few men with me. Now watch closely, neither told I any man what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went out, went on to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Look, the rubble is so bad and the piles of debris are so bad that his animal cannot pass through all of the passageways. Verse 15, then went I up in the night by the brook and I viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did. Neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Then said I unto them, you see the distress that we are in. I think we could relate, couldn't we? How Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, 
that we be no more a reproach. Let's stop there. Let's ask God to help us today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the great spirit already here today in spite of their circumstances. Thank you for all of our people tuning in. What a blessing that was to be able to see that a moment ago. Bless all of them and their households today. And I pray that, Father, you unite our hearts together, even though we're apart. In the message you sent today, help us be open and ready to receive it. Most importantly, help us respond to it. If there's loss today, help them be saved before it's too late for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking yesterday morning, I was up here at the office preparing uh, for today, and I was thinking about the end of last year, uh, around August, September, as we begin to pray about what God would have as theme, uh, the burden for the new year uh, here at our church, and prayed earnestly about it for several weeks, about what specifically direction the Lord would have us to go in the upcoming new year of 2021. Uh, My heart was very broken and burdened for our church, because we had just come through a difficult, difficult season, I thought. We had just come through a difficult, difficult season, and the burden the Lord put on our heart was the fact that our church needed to be renewed. Uh, After going through a drought and a desert time and a wilderness spiritually, oh, what a blessing it would be that God would renew us, and he gave us three burdens this year, that we renew our calling, our character, and renew our commitment. And so I was excited about that, and we launched that back in January, working toward that. And to much of my surprise, as my desire and my burden that God had placed in our heart was to be renewed, I found it kind of difficult because the thing that I thought we needed to be renewed from came back. I've gone to the Lord many times, and I have prayed and asked, how can we be renewed from our troubles when we're reliving our troubles? I was hoping we were out of that last year, and we go right back into it, and just about the time it seems we've cleared that, uh, it seems to come back, and I'm praying to God, I'm saying, God, it's hard to be renewed when what we're being renewed from keeps coming back. Brother Bolta, I have to tell you, uh, it reminded me of something my wife told me the other day. Now, I'll be honest with you, I was trying to decide whether or not she insulted me or not. Sometimes I'm not too sharp on that, especially after this virus. My brain, it's really not 100% yet, to be honest with you. I'm just a little, little foggy. And I asked her one morning last week or whatever week it was, I said, honey, are you going to go into the office today? Uh, she comes up and helps out around the school with a library. Or she'll come up and help out around the office a little bit. She says, no, I'm, I'm going to stay home and just do some spring cleaning today. I said, well, good. I said, well, look, uh, you know, you can go and help out and come in this afternoon and do it, uh, and we can help. And she made this statement. It's easier to clean when no one's here. I thought, okay. Then I thought, wait a minute. Was I just insulted? She knew my brain was not where it needed to be so she could insult me and get away with it. She said, it's easier to clean. She said, no offense, no offense, but it's easier to clean when you and Miley aren't here because I think what she was insinuating is while she's cleaning, we're still undoing. And the things she cleans up, we're tearing out. And I I do apologize to my wife for that, but that's a true statement. Be a whole lot easier to be renewed, wouldn't it, if this virus would go away? And I'm going to God and I'm saying, God, I I believe we need to be renewed in our calling and our character and our commitment, but God, it'd be a whole lot easier to be renewed if this would just go away. And of course, I went back and read Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 again, where the Bible says that his thoughts are not my thoughts. And his ways are much higher than my ways. And when I think that I can't be renewed in the midst of trouble, God says, no, oh, to the contrary. You could surely be renewed in the midst of all that's going on. And I want to show you something in Nehemiah, he says. We go back to Nehemiah and we look and we see what God did in the midst of trouble. What God did in the midst of trouble, God did a lot through Nehemiah in the rebuilding or the renewing of the walls in the midst of all kind of calamity. Now, as we read for the sake of time this morning, Jerusalem's in a dark place. They're in a dark place. Destruction is everywhere. Confusion is everywhere. Despair, it's all around them. And I think we can relate somewhat, can't we, this morning? There's a lot of despair. There's a lot of darkness But in the midst of all of this destruction and in the midst of all of this despair, God is about to bring about one of the greatest renewals that you will ever read about. In the short span of 52 days, God would revive the great walls of Jerusalem in the midst of destruction, in the midst of despair, in the midst of persecution. God was about to bring about a wonderful renewal. Now, let me show you something wonderful. 
as Nehemiah got ready to build and to rebuild, I want you to notice where he found what he needed to work with. Look, if you will, chapter 4. The enemy comes. The enemy says, what do you think you're about to do? You think you're about to do something wonderful? You think you're about to do something miraculous? Verse 2, the Bible says this, and he spake before his brethren in the army of Samaria and says, what do these feeble Jews, what do you think you're doing is what he's saying. Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Watch this. Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? I want you to notice something. Notice where Nehemiah was about to get the material that he rebuilt the walls with. He was about to pull the material that he needed to bring about renewal from the very rubbish that most of people would just want to throw away. Can I tell you the circumstances we're living in right now are circumstances I'd rather throw away. As a matter of fact, I will use the word in verse number two to describe so much of what we've gone through in the last two years. I would describe it as rubbish. God, these circumstances are rubbish. Now, I'm going to use the word rubble this morning because I'm not British anymore. Thank God, all right? We settled that about 200 years ago, so I'm not going to use the word rubbish. I'm going to use the word rubble, okay? Now, you think about this. What do you do with rubbish and rubble? The tendency is to throw it away. I mean, even I take the garbage out every once in a while, all right? We throw away rubbish and we throw away rubble and we want to throw away all of the rubbish we're living in. We're living in despair and we're living in destruction and we're living in confusion and we're living in calamity. And what do we want to do? God, get this stuff out of here. God, I'm tired of living in the rubble. I'm tired of living in all of this rubbish. But what does verse 2 say? The enemy recognized it. God was going to revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish. Here's the critical truth I want you to see this morning. Most of the time, what we want to throw away is rubbish. God says there's something good in that garbage that you can use. God says you can get something out of this if you're just willing to put a little elbow grease into it this morning and wait for, listen, we're waiting for God to fix everything. God says, no, I want you to dig through the rubbish and pull something out that you can build with. So this morning, here's what I want to help you with. I want to encourage you. Look, our theme is not on hold. Look, God knew what we were going to go through when he gave us the burden for 2021. God knew we needed to be renewed. And God says, I'm calling you to be renewed. And God expects us to be renewed in spite of the circumstances that we're living in. So you know what we're going to have to do? We can't sit there and wait for God to magically drop off exactly what we need in renewal. No, we're going to have to dig through the rubbish and through the rubble of our circumstances to pull out the material that we need to have the renewal that God's called us to. Now, folks, if you seriously want to be renewed this morning, if you're tired of living in this rubble and tired of living in this rubbish, listen this morning, why don't we put the work in? To find what God wants us to get out of the stuff that we would rather throw away. So here's the thought I want to share with you today. Let's see if we can find some renewal in our rubble, all right? Let's see if we can find some renewal in our rubble this morning. Look at chapter 2 down in verse number 11. Verse number 12. The Bible says Nehemiah gets up in the middle of the night, quietly, clandestine mission, if you will. And he begins driving around, or not driving, I'll say riding, all right? He was in a car, not a golf cart. He's riding around Jerusalem looking at all the destruction. Now, when he came in on his journey, he saw the northern part of the city because that's what he came to first. But he hasn't seen the southern part of the city. You look at a map. He's viewing the southern part of the city now. And as he views it, he sees all of this grief and discouragement and destruction. But I'm about to show you something wonderful that he got out of the rubble. Verse 12 says, watch this. Neither... Uh, yeah, uh, verse, number, verse number 12. And I rose in the night, and I and some few men with me, neither told I any man, watch this, what God had put in my heart. What God had put in my heart. Now, I want you to imagine how he feels. Can we do that? That's called empathy. Can we imagine what he felt like as he rode around his hometown and it's destroyed? The old hangouts that he would go to and places he would spend time in, maybe restaurants that he ate at, places that he had, had made memories and it's destroyed. The walls are down. The gates are burned with fire. It's death. It's destruction. 
It's grief. It's despair. It's confusing. Don't you know that took a grip and a hold of his heart? And yet in the midst of that, watch what he found. Verse 12 says he didn't tell anybody what God had put in his heart. Can I tell you the first thing that I believe that the rubble showed Nehemiah? Number one this morning, I believe the rubble reminded him of his calling. When he looked around at the walls that were down, and he looked at all of the destruction, it would have been so easy for Nehemiah to get discouraged, just like you and I. I don't turn the news on anymore. Why? It's discouraging. I don't, I don't read it on my phone anymore. It's discouraging. And yet when Nehemiah, watched this, looked at all of the rubble that was there, he didn't pull out discouragement. Do you know what he pulled out of it? He pulled out duty. He said, this is why I'm here. He didn't look around and say, oh, man, God's just led me to this mess. I'm going to quit and go home. He says, no, the rubble is why I'm here. He said, well, how do you know that? Look at verse 12. Neither told I any man what God had put in my heart. Do you know what that is? That's a calling. He said, look, it's bad. It's broken. It's sad. It's scary. But I'm called to it. Almighty God has placed a call upon my life. I am here as Esther for such a time as this. Look, no matter how bad it was, it was his calling of God. Now this morning, I believe you're going to fall into two categories today. As a child of God, you're going to look at the rubble of our circumstances and you're either going to find discouragement in it or you're going to find your duty in it. You're going to look around and you're going to say, man, this world's full of broken people. This world's getting dark. This world's getting... By the way, anytime you say the world's getting dark, let it remind you of your calling to be the light. All right? We're sitting around griping and complaining about how bad things are. But watch this. What did Jesus say? I didn't come to call the righteous. He didn't come to call the well. The calling of Christ on his life was to come to the broken, the maimed, and the down and out. And now he's extended that call to us. And when we look at this world... Listen, don't let it discourage you. Pull some duty out of that. Don't pull some discouragement. Why? That's our calling. Man, this world's dark. I'm sure waiting for the Lord to come back and take us out of here. Well, funny thing, he's called us to be the nightlight. That's what we're here for. We're salt, we're light. We're supposed to be influencing this world. And so here's Nehemiah. I don't believe Nehemiah. Watch this. I'm not saying he was jumping up and down and shouting about it, and neither am I. I don't like what we're living in. But man, all of a sudden when the circumstances take a grip on my heart and want to discourage me, something overshadows it. And it's the fact that I'm called here. I told you Wednesday night when I was born January the 4th, 1980 in Forest General Hospital. One day it's going to be part of the, the tour of my heritage life. We call it the heritage tour for Miley. Anytime we pass something I did as a kid, we call it as part of the heritage tour. Miley's going to be able to give tours one day for all of you who are interested, or both of you that are interested. My mom and my wife, my dad. <laughs> when I was born there, 41 years ago, God knew I'd be alive right now. And when I look at what's going on in our world, I don't like it. It's not pretty. It's broken. It's destruction. It's despair, but it's mine. I'm called to it. I'm called to it. There's something in here that burns. Sometimes I want to go hide under my juniper tree and, and just whine and complain. But after a while, something overshadows that complaint. Do you know what it is? It's a calling of God. God's, listen, when I was sick, and oh, was I sick, laying there in the bed, even in the sickest moments that I was laying in that bed, there was something in there that wanted to be here. I'd hear about somebody who was sick or in the hospital. Somebody had passed away. We had a couple of folks pass away in, in people's families, and I couldn't be. There was something burning. There was something churning in here. It's a call of God. It's hard to get discouraged when what, what you're looking at should be your duty. Watch this. Nehemiah looked at the rubble. He said, it's bad, but it was his bad. And it reminded him of his calling. He said, I'm called here. I think about Christ in Mark chapter 9. I'll read this for you for the sake of time. Verse 36, the Bible talks about the people. And Jesus saw them. The Bible says he was moved with compassion. Now, wait a minute. Let me set the scene for you. 
Jesus sees this group of people and his heart is moved toward them. Why? Was it because they were all sitting in nice rows? They had their hymn books out. They're singing in four-part harmony. Holy, holy, holy. And they're eagerly awaiting the preacher to speak. Oh, no, 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 no. The Bible says he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. When he looked at them, some would find reason to complain. Look at this mess we're in. Look at these people, they're fainting. Look, we're seeing that both literally and figuratively. We're looking at all this mess that really, they're fainting. The world is as sheep having no shepherd, isn't it? And what do we do? We do, I said Wednesday night, we complain. And yet Christ looked at them as his calling. He said, how do you know? Well, we keep reading for you. The Bible gives a great context on the Bible. The Bible says, then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Now, wait a minute. What's happening? Confusion. They're scattered. They're scattered. They're fainting. There is sheep having no shepherd. Now, I've never been around sheep who didn't have a shepherd, but evidently it's not good. And he's looking at all this mess. Watch this. He equated the confusion with his calling. He says, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers. He said, these are the people we're called to. Be careful complaining about what God has called us to. That's illustrated back in just a few verses or chapters before that in Mark chapter 6. The disciples were following Jesus. John has just been executed. The disciples are following Jesus. It's getting late in the day. People are starting to get hungry. You imagine a big crowd of people and all their stomachs are growling at the same time? Just imagine it here just about 45 minutes. You'll get a good idea what that's like. What did the disciples say? Matthew chapter number six. Send them away. Send them away. Send them away. They need something to eat. These are needy people. That's a lot of food. We don't have what they need. Send them away. Watch this. The disciples saw the people as getting in the way of their plans. But Jesus saw the people as part of the plan. He said, that's part of the plan. I want to feed them. They have needs. And we look at what we're going through as interrupting our life. It's interrupted our services. It's interrupted our families. It's interrupted our walks with God. But could I tell you this morning, all the confusion we're living in could be part of God's plan. Look, don't throw out all the rubbish. There's something in there for us, and all the rubble we're living through should do this. Remind us of our calling. Now, you're probably wondering, what is a calling this morning? I want to help you with this. I've never preached on this before. Verse 12 defines exactly what a calling is. Notice, the Bible says, verse 12, neither told I any man what my God had put. Could I define a calling for you in Jeremiah Andrews' English. A calling is understanding that regardless of the circumstances, God puts you here. God puts you here. Can I tell you, that will keep you grounded in any circumstance. 26 years ago when I surrendered to preach, told mom and dad, my dad as the wise pastor he was, says, you need to make sure this call is of God. He says, because there's going to be trouble and trials and difficulty in ministry, and only a calling will keep you there. If you're just doing it because of the family business, you won't last. If you're just doing it because you like to talk and stand in front of people, it's not going to last. If you're just doing it because uh, you like running with a group of preachers, it's not going to last. The only thing that will keep you grounded when adversity comes is knowing you have a call of God in your life. And no matter how bad things get, as a child of God, we're called to it. We're called to this darkness. We're called to this despair. We're called to this trouble. Listen, we're called to the dumpster fires of people's homes and lives. That's why we're here. It shouldn't discourage you. Why? This is our duty this morning. I assure you, you can find great security in the midst of your struggle if you know that God puts you there. I told Brother Michael the other day, he was in my office, we were meeting together and just talking a little bit, fellowshipping a little bit. I hadn't got to do that in a while and miss that. I really do miss Christian fellowship. I told Brother Michael, I said, boy, we got a lot of irons in the fire right now and so do other pastors all over this country. I talk to a lot of them. We're not the only ones going through this. I said, boy, we got a lot of irons in the fire. Got a, lot, a lot of directions we have to run. A lot of burdens we have to bear. 
a lot of hurts that we've got to help heal. I said, but do you know what keeps us going? Knowing that those burdens, those directions, and those hurts are what we're called to. They shouldn't scare us off. They should strengthen our resolve because this is why we're here. You know, we read about the Apostle Paul. Sometimes I don't like Paul. Can I just be honest with you? Because Paul didn't make a whole lot of mistakes. I like Peter. I really like Peter. You read about the Apostle Paul, and what do I, I don't have the time this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me just give it to you right quick off, off the top of my head. The Apostle Paul says, I was shipwrecked. I was beaten. I was hungry. And the Apostle Paul gives you this long laundry list in verse 26 of all the stuff he went through. Do you know what I would call those circumstances? Rubbish and rubble. If you asked me to sign up for that, I would have never signed up for those things. And yet the Apostle Paul just kept going. Why was that? What kept him going? Listen to this. This will help you today. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, he says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Do you know what kept Paul going? He knew he was God put. God put. He says, it's difficult, it's scary, it's, it's horrible at times, beaten with rods and a shipwreck. But what kept Paul going in the will of God for his life, what kept Paul in his duty without getting discouraged was the simple fact he had a call of God on his life. And the call overshadowed everything. Listen to me this morning, folks. If you would just realize that God placed us here for such a time as this, it wouldn't discourage you, you'd see opportunity. This is why God left us here. Getting discouraged by difficulty is like the pest control man quitting his job because he saw a roach. I want you to think about that. We have a lot of folks who work in that industry around here. You imagine the pest control man coming back up to his office, turning in his sprayer, turning in his truck, turning in his uniform, and somebody say, well, what's the matter? Somebody make you mad? Somebody take a shot at you? No, you're never going to believe this. Saw one of Brother Coates, Madagascar, hissing roaches. Scared him to death. If you haven't seen those, you need to see those. I mean, when things get tough, I think we've got a couple of meals out of each one of them things. They're huge. Now, we would laugh if a pest control man quit because he saw a roach. We shouldn't laugh no more at that than we laugh at Christians who get discouraged by difficulty. We're called to it. We're called to it. So how do you know that? First Thessalonians chapter 3. Listen close. That no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. You know what the word appointed means? We're called to it. We're called to it. It's like a fireman saying, you know what? I'm not going to that house because I don't like the heat. No, that's what he's there for. Folks, we're the spiritual firemen of this world, and this world's on fire right now. And as the people of God, don't look around and get discouraged. Look around and see your duty and get busy for the cause of Christ because I assure you when he comes back, you're going to wish that you were about your calling. Number one. What did the rubble do for Nehemiah? Notice right off the bat, he reiterates, God put me here. God put this in my heart. Number two, keep reading. How do you find renewal in the rubble? Well, you let the rubble remind you of your calling, but notice something amazing happens. After he goes on this trip, look at verse 17. He couldn't sit on what he saw. He saw distress. He saw despair. He said, I can't sit on it. I got to do something about it. Verse 17, then said I unto them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. Now watch this. The problem that he saw was so great, he couldn't contain it. He says, you know what? We've got to do something about it. Now so often we see the problem. I don't think anybody in this room this morning or watching on live stream would disagree. We're sitting in the midst of a problem. We've got troubles everywhere. But here's our problem. That's usually as far as it goes. We might complain about it. We might post about it. But we don't do anything about it. Could I help you just a little bit this morning? I really don't want to help you. I'm not trying to educate you. I'm trying to edify you, okay? Listen to me. This is not a virus problem. What we're going through in America is a spiritual problem. All right? God could wipe this thing out in a heartbeat. But he's not. Why not? 
We need to start figuring out why not. Now watch this. We learn a lot about the character of Nehemiah by how he responds to the rubble. Notice the second thing, number two, the rubble reveals to us our character. Stick with me, this will help you. This is gonna be the toughest point this morning. I'll promise you, I'm not gonna try to make anybody mad, but you gotta hear it out this morning. If it's not truth, then chunk it, but if it's truth, let's chew on it for a little while. The rubble will help reveal our character. Vince Lombardi used to use the quote often, it's not originated by him, but he used to use the quote often that adversity doesn't build character, it reveals it. Adversity doesn't build character, it reveals it. Now, I'm not quite sure about the first part of that. I think sometimes adversity can build it, but I agree 100% with the second part. Adversity will reveal your character. You're going to find out who you are in adversity. You're not going to find out who you are when times are good. You're going to find out who you are when times are tough. So I don't know if I believe that. Well, give you some Bible for it. That way you have to. Proverbs 24.10. If thou faint in the day of adversity... Thy strength is small. If you faint in the day of what? Adversity. Your strength is small. God says the measuring stick for where your strength is at is not in the good times. Your measuring stick for who you really are and what your character really is is in those tough times of adversity. That's when you're going to find out who you are. Do you know when you're surrounded by rubble and tough times? That's when you're going to find out who you really are. So here's Nehemiah riding through all of this rubble, and he comes back, and rather than say, you know what, this is too much, I quit and go home, he stepped up to do something about it. That's where you're going to find out who you really are. You know, COVID has stirred a tremendous amount of emotions in all of us, all of us, even our children. COVID has stirred a lot of emotions, and could we be honest, all of them are not good. Many of them are not good. So what do you mean by that? Well, we have opinions on this side. We have opinions on that side. We have debates on this side. We have theories on this side. We have disagreements on this side. And then all of a sudden, we start being unkind one to another. We start losing our testimony, and it's happened. And I'm talking about the saved people. Do you know what it's done? This adversity has revealed our character. And I hate to tell you, I'm just as guilty. Sometimes it's revealed my character is not good. Why? Because I'd rather talk about it, but I'm not doing anything about it. Not doing anything about it. I'm guilty, okay? I'm right here with you. The truth is, Ephesians 6 tells us this, verse 12. Correct me if I'm wrong. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We're arguing with one another. And neglecting the real enemy. We're trying to find a temporal solution for a permanent problem. We're getting sucked into debates of which, to be honest, there's no answer. I've talked to doctor after doctor after doctor. We don't know what the long-term effects of COVID are going to be. We don't know what the long-term effects of the vaccine are going to be. We don't know. I've talked to doctors. I've asked them. There's so much that we don't know. But here's what happens. When we get sucked into debates for which there are no answer... It distracts us this morning from the real enemy that's setting fire to the world. Do you still have an imagination? I'm 41. I still got it. I don't know if I'm just a late bloomer or what, but I still got it. I want to keep it. I'm sitting in the office yesterday, and and I I imagined a conversation between Jesus and Gabriel, all right? Now, don't you go home and tell somebody that I had a vision. I didn't. It's imaginary. It didn't happen, okay? But it's just pretend. We all still pretend, right? All right. I hope so. Jesus and Gabriel are up in heaven, and Gabriel comes over to Jesus, and he says, how's it going down there? You know, the Lord knows everything. Gabriel doesn't know everything. So he says, how's it going down there? Jesus says, they're arguing over a vaccine. The judgment of God is falling on America. It's a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual problem. For which there is no vaccine. And he looks at Gabriel and he says, they're arguing about a vaccine. My judgment's falling on them for wickedness and rebellion. And they're distracted, arguing about a vaccine, while the enemy runs all over the world to and fro, setting fire on the world. He's brilliant, isn't he? 
We've been distracted this morning. Our character's being revealed, and the character, the fact of the matter is this morning, our character's not what it ought to be because we're not focused on what we should be. And what we should be focusing on and campaigning about and crusading about is the fact that people are going to die and spend eternity in the devil's hell. And meanwhile, we're arguing over all of these things that are not going to matter in the whole scheme of eternity. I don't know if the vaccine works or not. That's between you and God. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Most of us aren't either. I can't tell you what you ought to do. But the Bible says when you got saved, your body belongs to God. Go ask him what he wants you to do with it. And you just do what he tells you to do with it. And somebody has a problem with that, you say, take it up with God. I'm just doing what he told me to do. Meanwhile, we're wasting all the precious little time. It's amazing. We have people on one hand talking about, oh, it's coming. Any day the Lord's coming back, looking forward to it. But we're wasting the precious time we have arguing about things that are not going to matter in the whole scheme of eternity. I'm probably going to make everybody mad here this morning. I wish somebody, my daughter will like me after all of this is over. 1 Samuel chapter 30, let me give you a good account. David and his men come back from battle. They see smoke on the horizon. Their hometown or their base at the time, Ziklag, has been burned. Their wives and their children are gone. The Bible says when the men got to the city, they look around, it's all gone. Rubble. Rubble. And you know what they did? The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 30, David was greatly distressed because the people spake of stoning him. Do you know what just happened? The adversity revealed their character. You saw who they really were. Because instead of going after the enemy that took their family, they go after David. Meanwhile, the enemy is making off with their families. You see, they picked the wrong fight. Folks, I'm not saying there's not facts on both sides, but I can tell you one truth. Vaccinated or not, people that die without Christ are going to hell. What good does it do this morning if we encourage them to get it or not to get it if they still die and go to hell? What does it matter? Oh, if we would just launch some crusades about that. That people are dying. Let's raise the alarm bells. People are dying. They're going to hell. Families are being looted this morning. And all we can argue about is something that's not going to matter on the other side of eternity. Ultimately, safety's of the Lord. Let's not get cocky enough to think that we're capable of keeping ourselves safe. No, that's of the Lord ultimately. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, Proverbs 28, but safety's of the Lord. That means you can do everything you can, and you ought to be prudent. But listen to me, in the end, it's up to God. I tried to be saved, but I still got that mess. You know, one of the greatest ways you reveal your character is by what you speak up about. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Not once did I see Nehemiah blame the Babylonians. Get back to Jerusalem. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start a petition. And we're going to get the Babylonians sanctioned by the United Nations. No, do you know what Nehemiah realized that we got to realize? He knew this was of God. God let that happen. God let that happen. You know the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 5 verse 39? If it be of God, you cannot overthrow it. To be of God, you cannot overthrow it. Can I tell you my opinion? Boy, I don't know. I don't know. But boy, I just believe in my heart this is of God. And we're not going to stop it until we turn back to God. And that's our crusade ought to be. Look, let people get in touch with God, find out what God's will is for their life. I can't tell you what God's will is for your life other than the fact that he left you here to be salt and light. And that ought to be our crusade this morning. But I'm afraid we're more concerned with whether people get the shot or not than we are whether people get saved or not. And in that, we're revealing our character. That's who we really are. That's who we really are. You know, James chapter 2, 
Verse 15 says this, if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, depart in peace, be you warmed and filled. You're saying, hey, here's what you need to do. Hey, let me help you. Here's what you need to do, okay? The Bible says, notwithstanding, ye give them not of those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Now, key words here. The Bible says, ye give them not those things which are needful. Can I tell you what people need right now? More than anything in the world, they just need Jesus. They just need Jesus. Nehemiah saw what was going on. He says, I can't sit here and watch this. I'm going to speak up. And he spoke up. And he says, we've got to do something about it. But notice, it wasn't retaliate against the Babylonians. It was this. Look at verse 17. That we be no more reproach. He says, we're reproached before God. Who cares? what everybody else thinks. We're reproached before God. Let's get right with God. Let's get things back where they need to be. The old Moody said this, boy, my dad drove this into me as a kid, reminded me all the time. The old Moody said, character is what you are in the dark. Character is what you are in the dark. We are living in some dark times and these dark times are revealing our character that we're not what we ought to be because we're more concerned about the temporal than we are of the eternal. Do you know what rubble will do? Number one, rubble will remind you of your calling. This is why I'm here. I don't like it, but this is why I'm here. And boy, we're gonna do the job of what God called us to do. Number two, what it'll do for you, it'll reveal your character. And if you're here this morning and you realize, you know what, this virus has brought out the worst in me. There's an opportunity to repent here in just a few minutes. It's called the invitation. Finally, I'll give you this and I'm done. I know you're already done, but I'll give you this, and I'm done, okay? I, look, can I tell you something, and you don't have to believe me? I love you. I love you. I missed you every minute that I was not here. That whole month of my life that I'll never get back, I missed you every moment that I was gone. But folks, sometimes the Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. This cut me up, maybe like it's cutting up you this morning. But God's got to get us where he needs to get us. There's something in this rubble for us, if we'll just dig around a little bit. Finally, we notice Nehemiah says to the men, we've got to rebuild. Verse 18, then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me. Watch this. There's his calling again. He said, hey, God's called me to this. Look, you can have all the confidence in the world when you know God's called you there. Several years ago, believe it or not, church called me to pastor them. I went and preached. And even after I preached, they still called me to pastor. Don't figure that. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. Afterward, I went back to meet with the men after I preached and we sat down together. The man says, Brother Andrews, we voted and we feel that it's God's will. You come and be our pastor. And uh, just right there in the whole meeting, blurted out, this is what we're going to pay you. This is what we're going to offer you. These are the benefits and all that. I said, I don't care about any of that. He says, but you're supposed to be our pastor. And I said, hey, that, that sounds good. And everybody's smiling. I said, but there's one problem, one insy teensy little problem. He said, what's that? I said, I can't move here. I can't move here. All of a sudden, the gentleman that just loved me to death five seconds before jumps up from his chair and says, what? You think you're worth more than that? I mean, it went south quick. I told him, I said, look, I know myself and I'm not worth what you're offering me. He said, well, why don't you think you can come here? I said, it's not that I think. I know I can't come here. He goes, well, we want to know why. What's wrong with our church? Nothing wrong with your church. I said, listen, I'm not looking for a hire. I'm listening for a call, and God ain't called me here, all right? I don't care what you offer me. I don't care how rosy it is. God ain't called me there, and I can't go where God ain't called me. Why? Because I remember what my dad said. Troubles are going to come. I said, look, right now you like me. I said, I promise you, you're going to learn not to like me like everybody else does, like you guys have. You're going to learn not to like me, and there's going to be tough times, and we're going to butt heads, we're going to disagree, and we're going to have problems, and the only thing that's going to keep me behind the pulpit is knowing that I'm called there, or else I'm going to turn tail and go home. So I said goodbye. I went back, served at my dad's church, stepped down from a pastor to go become a member at my dad's church. Why? Because that's what God called me to do. Great confidence when you do what God calls you to do. A few years later, God called us to Louisiana. Without a doubt, God called us to Louisiana. Go to Louisiana. Boy, that was tough, starting a church. 
new community, people looking at you. Well, are you some kind of cult or something? We already have a Baptist church. Why do you think you just started another Baptist church and all this? And the building that we, the Lord gave us was in a church years ago, and the, the pastor years ago ran off with the secretary, had a bad blight on it, and oh, it was tough, and oh, we had tears. But do you know what kept us there? We knew we were called. We had confidence in the midst of our calamity because we knew we were called. Folks, look, let this rubble remind you of your calling. Number two, let the rubble reveal your character. And finally, this is the short one I'll give you, and we're going to close. Most of our people are on their couch, so they're comfortable, all right? So I'm preaching to the ones that are on their couch and comfortable. The Bible says he goes to rebuild. Here comes the enemy in verse 19. You be assured as soon as you start to be renewed, here comes the enemy. Verse 19, watch what happens. They laughed us to scorn and despised us. And says, what is this thing that you do? Will you rebel against the king? And watch what Nehemiah does in verse 20. Then answered I them and said unto them, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. Notice the confidence. Why? He had a calling. Therefore we his servants will arise and build, but ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. Notice the commitment that Nehemiah has here. Do you know where he got it from? I believe he got it from the rubble. I believe he got it from the rubble. Number three, I believe the rubble reinforced his commitment. The rubble reinforced his commitment. Now, why would someone be so committed in the midst of such adversity? Think about it. He had no reason to be committed. It's a mess. People don't like it. We don't know how it's going to turn out. I mean, look, how could you be so committed? Here's what I understand by reading God's word. I believe Nehemiah understand that the rubble was a direct result of not being committed to God. Nehemiah says, no, we got to be committed. we got to stick this thing out. Why? Because what you're living through right now is a direct result of not being committed to God. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 8, notice what it says. Here's the proof, okay, in case you don't believe me. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you. What did God do? He scattered them. Why? They transgressed. They rebelled. And so anytime, watch this, that Nehemiah was tempted to quit because it was tough, do you know what I believe he did? He looked around and says, No, we're not going to relive this. We're not going to go through this again. The next generation is not going to know what it's like to live in despair and destruction because we're going to remain committed to God no matter who laughs at us or despises us because we know we have the call of God. Let me give you this this morning. Understand that anytime you see rubble in the word of God, it's always evidence of rebellion. Rubble is always evidence of rebellion. So what do you mean? Book of Genesis, we had a perfect world. Perfect world. We come back just a few chapters later, we find it's in rubble. Thorns and briars and sickness and pain and death. It's in rubble. What happened? Adam and Eve rebelled. Rebellion will always lead to rubble. What happened at Sodom and Gomorrah? Go visit the ruins of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's rubble. Why? Rebellion. All right? Rebellion. Where do you find Samson buried? Under a pile of rubble. Why? Because he rebelled. I believe every time Nehemiah looked at that rubble, he goes, we got to stay committed. Why? Because what we're going through is a result of not staying committed. And we looked at that rubble, it just reinforced that he was going to do what God had called him to do. By the way, can I tell you something? You may not believe me, but I'm going to tell you anyway. That's why I preach against sin. That's why I preach against sin. Do you know what I do just about every day of my week? I work in the rubble. I work in the rubble. Maybe it's the rubble of a home that's been blown apart because they weren't committed to God. Maybe it's in the rubble of a life that's shattered in pieces because they weren't committed to God. Maybe it's the rubble of a church that's not what it used to be. Why? Because they weren't committed to God. Just a few weeks ago, dealing in a pile of rubble, boy, it was rough. Somebody not a member of our church walked out of my office and I looked at my wife. I said, that's why I preach against sin. I don't want to see anybody else live in rubble. That's why. I know you may think I'm mean, and I hope you know that I love you. I don't want your home to become rubble. Rubble comes from the fact that you rebel and not committed to God. That's why, listen, I get a little bit excited about it sometimes. Why? I get tired of working in rubble. 
I'd rather work on a wall every once in a while. But so often we work around piles and piles of rubble of homes and teenagers who thought they wanted to experiment with rebellion just for a minute. And they get brought down to rubble and we're sifting through the rubble trying to, to, to salvage a life. Why? Because they weren't committed to God. Folks, I'll, I'll tell you this this morning and we're going to close. I believe if we don't have a commitment to God greater than the one we had before all of this, we're just going to get more of the same. God's trying to show us this is what happens when you transgress. You're living through what happens when you're not committed to me. And I'm trying to show you through the rubble there's something good for you in the midst of that rubble, but you've got to be willing to pull it out this morning. And that's a simple fact that we haven't been committed as we need to be before God. In just a few days, we will recognize the memorial of September 11th. I think we're 20 years now, I guess. I remember when that happened. I remember when it happened. For days, we were glued to our televisions, weren't we? Watching all of the rubble be excavated and crushed cars and, and fire trucks, hoping they could salvage something out of that rubble. And out of that rubble came a tremendous resolve in America. Boy, there was a resolve. There was patriotism. I read the, the numbers this morning. 181,510 people enlisted for active duty in the days following September 11th. 72,908 people stepped up for reserves, an increase of over 10% from the previous year. What happened? The rubble reinforced our commitment. I'm not going to let that happen again. I'm not going to let it happen again. Can I tell you what I believe God wants us to get out of the rubble this morning? God wants us to remember our calling. Look around at all the trouble and all the debris, and God says, I've called you to that. I want you to be salt and light in a world that's getting darker and darker. God says, I want you to remember your calling. But then God says, has the rubble revealed your character? Have we spoken up about what matters? Nehemiah didn't go on a crusade to run down the Babylonians. He says, no, we got to turn back to God. He said, that's what caused all of this. And then maybe this morning you've got to understand that God wants to reinforce our commitment through that. Because what we're living in shows us what happens when we don't be committed to God. Can I ask you this morning, what do you see in the rubble? Is it duty or discouragement? Can I ask you what's your concern been? What are you speaking up about? Are you speaking up about what really matters? And then finally, have you been committed to God? You can have renewal. Nehemiah found renewal. Our calling, our character, and our commitment. And he got all of that out of the circumstances he was living in. We can have it this morning. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.